On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The topic of my message, the good, the bad, and the ugly. No, I'm not Clint Eastwood. <laughs> First, I'd like to bring you greetings from our conference, Greater New York Conference, or Executive Secretary, Pastor Ariel Mansueta, our Treasurer Isaias, Pastor Isaias Javier, and the entire 32,000 strong membership. I want to thank Pastor Todd, Pastor Michelle, for the great job they're doing here at Advent Hope. And I want to thank you all. And I want to thank you all for being a part of this experience, a part of this ministry. Can you bow your heads with me? Father, speak now to your manservant that I can speak to your people. And bless us all, I pray, in Jesus' name. In verse 25 of the parable that was just read to you, we have a lawyer asking a good question. He went up to Jesus and he asked, he says, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You know, that's a good question. Anytime we can confront our inner selves and punctuate our thoughts with a question of salvation, we have asked ourselves a good question. Anytime we can hear ourselves asking the question, what must I do to be saved? We have asked a good question. Anytime we can contemplate our own mortality and query about eternal life, we have asked a good question. Exactly one week ago, just around this very time, I was getting ready to preach at a church in Brooklyn when several calls came on my phone, came through and texts. I looked at the text and there it says, Dr. Honoré passed away. Some of you may not know who this gentleman is, but the Greater New York Conference and the Northeastern Conference are two conferences that occupied, occupied the entire territory of New York. And he served as the president of the Northeastern Conference for eight years. And after that, he was called to the Minnesota Conference where he was serving as president. Last Friday evening, not last Friday evening, the week ago Friday evening, he went to sleep and never woke up. That's why I was getting these texts and calls. Dr. Honoré passed away. 
Life is so fleecing. None of us inside here can tell when it's our time. And so the best thing we have to do is to do good and to live good. Now notice the response that Jesus gave this lawyer when he asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus simply said to him, as a matter of fact, Jesus asked him another question. What, what is written in the law? You see, my friends, the issue of salvation is not based upon the opinion of men. Salvation is based upon what's written in the word of God. The lawyer gave Jesus a strange answer. Verse 7, he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. Good answer. There's nothing you could add to that to make it better. There's nothing I could add to that to make it better. We could say it was a perfect response to the extent that all Jesus said to him when he responded that way, Jesus said to him, thou has answered right. Thou has answered right. This do and thou shalt live. In other words, do what you have just said and you will live. You will have joy, peace, and prosperity. You know, my friends, the lawyer should have stopped right there with his good, his good answer that he gave to Jesus. He should have gone home, reflect on the answer, and start doing exactly what he said. But he wanted more than just a practical solution to his theoretical question. He wanted to demonstrate his sophisticated concept of salvation by works. He wanted to elevate his, elevate his open arrogance and accentuate his personal pride. He wanted to dazzle his listeners and leave them in a state of exaltation. He wanted to flutter his intellectual feathers into the academic arena. No, no, no. He wouldn't stop there, the Bible says. But willing to justify himself, he said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? No, that's a bad question. First, we find the lawyer asking a good question. Who is my neighbor? And now he's asking a bad question. First, he asks, I'm sorry. First, he asks a good question when he went up to Jesus and asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That was his good question. But his bad question now is, and who? is my neighbor. You see, my friends, the question is bad because of its narcissistic and selfish nature. Whenever we ask the question, who is my neighbor? We're suggesting that we don't want to care. 
When we ask the question, who is my neighbor? We are shifting the responsibility of being a good neighbor onto someone else. Whenever we ask the question, who is my neighbor? We are covering ourselves up under an excuse blanket. By asking that question, who is my neighbor, we're saying, it is their responsibility to become the recipient of my love. It is their responsibility to find salvation. It is their responsibility to find their way back to God. And my friends, that's bad thinking. This kind of thinking is against the teachings of Jesus Christ. If you will recall, in Luke chapter 14 and verse 23, he says, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come that they may, that my house may be filled. So you see, we cannot afford to ask the bad question, who is my neighbor? Because everyone is a neighbor and everyone is a child of God. So the troubling question, the troubling question that, conf that confronts us today is, have you, like this lawyer, become so absorbed in this pervasive postmodernism of greed and selfishness that you have, you have no time to be a neighbor? Have you become part of the paradox of our time, whereby we have beautiful buildings but ugly tempers, paved roads, but unpaved hearts. We spend extra, but we have less. We buy more, but we enjoy less. We have big plans and shallow commitment, more conveniences, but less time. We have more degrees, but less sense, more knowledge, but less understanding. We have multiplied our possessions, but reduced our values. We talk too much love too seldom and hate too often. We have learned how to make a living, but not a life. We have conquered the outer self, but not the inner self. We have cleaned up the air, but polluted our souls. We have mastered our money, but not our misery. We read more, but learn less. We plan more, but accomplish less. We have learned to rush, but not to wait. We have learned to live, but not to love. We are afraid of judges, but not of the judgment. We make plans for this life, but very few plans for eternal life. So let me ask you, my friends, let me ask you the question one more time. Have you, like this lawyer, become so absorbed in this pervasive postmodernism of greed and selfishness that you have no time to love your neighbor, no time to communicate the love of God to them, no time to accept God's plan of salvation, no time to prepare for the coming of the Lord. Have you? In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Jesus reminds us, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The best gift, my friends, the best gift that one can give 
one's self is the gift of salvation. So I have spoken about the good question and the bad question. Now let me talk about the ugly. In his discourse with the lawyer, Jesus describes what it means to be a neighbor. He gave them a, a story. It goes like this. A certain man from Jerusalem left to go down into the valley towards Jericho. While traveling through a rather desolate area of the canyons, he was attacked by a gang of thieves who beat him up badly and took his money, stripped him of his clothing, then left him lying in the desert sun half dead. A Jewish priest was traveling that same road. When he came to the place where the injured man was lying, he decided not to touch him because he might be a Gentile. So he kept on going. That's ugly. Later on, as Jesus continued the story, a Levite traveling along the same road, when he came to the man, he stopped and looked. But after seeing the man's condition, the Levite decided not to defile himself. So he too went on his way. That's ugly. So this is the ugly part of the story. The unwillingness of the priests and the Levite to risk their lives for someone in great danger. Isn't that what Christ did for you and for me on Calvary's cross? The song says, he died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good, that we might go at last to heaven, saved by his precious blood. I want you to visualize for a moment the action and behavior of that priest. As he came upon this dying man, <clears throat> he recognized what had happened. He recognized that some thieves had jumped him and that where he was now in the presence of this man was dangerous territory. So he mused among himself and he said, if I stop to help this dying man, what will happen to me? And sensing that he too could be robbed, he kept on walking. That's ugly and narcissistic. And then comes the Levite, Jesus says. And he saw the man there bleeding, dying as it were. And he reasoned. He says, if I stop to help this dying man, what will happen to me? That's ugly, that's selfish. And so sensing what may happen to him and the possibility, he kept on walking. And Jesus looked at that Jewish crowd and he said, 
And then there came along a Samaritan. By explanation, Jesus would have said, one that you consider to be a dog. A Samaritan came. Recognizing, he recognized the ugliness and selfishness of the question the priest and the Levite asked. He decided he was going to reverse that question. And so he said to himself, if I do not stop to help this dying man, what will happen to him? And that's the quintessential question that confronts each and every one of us here as God's children. If we do not stop to rescue the perishing and care for the dying, what will happen to them? If we do not stop to tell others that Jesus is coming again, what will happen to them? If we do not stop and communicate to our neighbors the love of God, what will happen to them. I say if we do not stop to tell our children to give their hearts to God and to get baptized, what will happen to them? If we do not stop to explain to others the meaning of the Sabbath, what will happen to them? I say, I say, I say, if we do not stop to share the word of God with others, what will happen to them. Yes, yes, if we do not stop to tell people about the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what will happen to them? You see, loved ones, we may greet each other with a holy kiss, a handshake, a happy Sabbath, a hello, but is that all? Is that all we can do? Is that all God is asking of us? The story is told of this pastor who was asked to visit a lady. She was the one who called him and asked. She said, I'm experiencing bouts of depression, brokenness, sadness. I just need someone to come and studied with me, and study with me the word of God. He went to visit the lady and saw her condition, spent some time talking, minister to her, strengthening her heart, giving her courage, prayed for her, and then promised, promised her that he would return. But then he got home and got caught up with the different things he had to do, then came the winter, <clears throat> was a bad winter, had so much to do. And by the following spring, he decided, I need, I need to go back and visit this lady. So in the summer, he took a, his journey out to her home. And when he got there, all he saw were charred woods. The house had been burned flat to the ground. And then he learned that the woman died in the flames. He had wanted to go back to give help, but he did not. Steve Green, Steve Green in his well-known song, People Need the Lord, has this to say in the first verse and chorus. Every day they pass me by. 
I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with care, heading who knows where. On they go through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries. Only Jesus hears. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, he's the open door. People need the Lord. Yes, people need the Lord. When will we realize that people need the Lord? My dear friends, as you come to the house of worship, I pray that you will understand that each and every one of you, all of us, we need the Lord. I'd like to pray for you, and if you could just sit in your seat, and if you'd like me to say a special prayer for you, you could just raise your hand while you're sitting. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, and I will pray for you. But if you'd like a special prayer, you know what it is? Just raise your hand. God sees you. God bless you. God bless those hands. God bless you. God bless your hands. Let us bow our heads. Thank you. Gracious Father, we have seen in this sermon the good, asking the good about our soul's salvation. We have seen the bad, the bad wherein we refuse to be neighborly. And then we have seen the ugly, refusing to care for those in need. I pray that you will help us to understand, Lord, that as we need you, not only must we reach up to you, but we must reach out to others. We thank you for all those who raised their hands and ask for a special blessing upon them. And whatever the reason, whatever the purpose of their raising their hands, Lord, I just ask that you will minister to them, that you will bless them, that you will help them. And for every worshiper, each and every one here today, and those that are online, I pray that your Holy Spirit will anoint them, keep them, and bless them. For we ask it all. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all.